Thank you. What a joy to be back at Bethesda. I have a long, wonderful history with this church going back to my years of teen when I was 15 years old at the old north side and followed this church all these years and ministered more times than I can count, but none more important than today. Today's a magnificent day to serve God and kick off 2018 in the house of the Lord. God bless all of you. It's again a great honor. Pastor Dan, there's nobody I'd rather be with today than you. And it's kind of now a 24-month repeat. Uh, this is kind of setting it up for two years from now. But to come back every other new year. Thank you, Pastor. Just thought I'd say that. <laughs> you guys, you just look wonderful. You look marvelous, darling. Marvelous. Uh, my brother and his wife and my little niece. I see, what was her name? Uh, Andrea, I think you guys, when general counsel took place, Andrea was on the screen a lot right behind the leader. And I got to tell you something. That, that little girl, she is, she's my niece. I just want you to know she's, she's my niece. <laughs> I don't see her in the crowd. Is that you right there, sweetheart? Don't you ever lose that smile and that great voice. And you can pay me later for all those nice things. <laughs> My wife is with me, and because the lights kind of make my eyes shrink, I can't see very good. But, baby, if you're where you can stand, would you stand? And wherever she is, would you welcome my wife? Brenda. She's here somewhere. It's, uh, it's been a great joy already to have the opportunity to minister to the French church and to the Swahili church. And I'm going to tell you, that bunch in that Swahili church, if they can't light your fire, you don't have anything to light. They are so wonderful. And I was listening to Pastor talk about fire and the fire that's inside. This little quick story before we get serious about preaching. This little quick story. I, when I was injured, it was a phosphorus explosion that was in my hand, a hand grenade. And it blew right here when a sniper put a bullet through my hand and blew the grenade. And half my skin instantly came off. But that phosphorus only needs oxygen to spontaneously combust. So when the, the bullet hit the grenade, it didn't ignite it. What ignited it was air. And it was blown in so deep, so fast, some of the phosphorus did not have time to light. So some of the phosphorus went into my body unburned. And two weeks, Pastor, two weeks after my injury, they opened me up for surgery and I caught fire in the operating room. I set the operating room on fire, and those doctors ran out and left me in there. <laughs> when I found that out, I called them. I said, you should be veterinarians. And they said, why? I said, because you're chicken doctors. That's what you are. <laughs> Someone asked me the other day if that stuff was still in me. I didn't know, so I went home at night, turned the lights off, stood naked in front of the mirror. Nothing glowed, so you won't sleep for a week now. That's going to mess with you. <laughs> But I got to tell you, there's a fire inside that can't be put out. Yeah, boy. That's a fire that burns and nothing can extinguish it. And I got to tell you, I'm lit up today. I'm so happy to be here. Since I last saw you, I've had five surgeries. And all of them were in a period of about five months. Uh, one year ago this, one year ago today, uh, I was recovering from my 50th operation since I was injured. And it was a 12-hour surgery at the hospital. I started my recovery in Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. And I'll show you a picture in a moment. I'm only going to leave it up for 10 seconds or less, and I'll allow the AV folks to do the countdown on it. I don't want it left up long. I won't even look at it because it's not, I don't like to look at that. But you have to see it. Because sometimes congregations, people in the church don't, realize the humanity of your man of the cloth, your pastor, your associate pastors, the wives of your ministry team, or even yours truly. Sometimes you fail to see our humanity. We're on a stage and unfortunately it's, we're presented on a stage. In most cases, it's really not a stage. That's where you act. A platform is where you communicate. And I'm on a platform today trying to communicate 
above the stage mentality. We're very human. And there are times when we get hit in a broadside and it just knocks us for a loop. And I'm telling you, I got hit that way a year ago. And yours truly that tries to be funny about everything. I love humor. I'm not a jokester. I just see the funny side of life. And I couldn't find anything funny. I couldn't find anything humorous. I, I forgot how to laugh. When what you're about to see was the first time I saw it. And it's nothing compared to the, what I looked like when I was initially at the time of my injury. But they took me in for 12 hours. They lifted my face and totally rebuilt my face. 12 hours with three teams of doctors at Brook Army Medical Center. And they built me a nose now. I have two nostrils. They repaired my mouth and I have two lips. And they gave me two eyelids. I'm so good looking now, I can't hardly stand myself. <laughs> but I gotta tell you, what I saw after that surgery, I was laying there and I came to from this drug that killed Michael Jackson. It was the same drug administered properly to me. And it was so powerful. That drug is unbelievably powerful. It keeps you unconscious, but when you come to, you don't just wake up and everything. You have to have a little time to engage in reality. Well, what happened was my face was in so much pain that in this REM, rapid eye movement state of mind, I was half awake, half asleep, and my brain was translating this facial pain to being eaten by a lion. A lion was eating my face. And it was so terrifying to me that when my eyes opened, I, I was trembling and my hands were up and, and Brenda just reached over and has been the case through all 50 years of our wonderful marriage that's been put to the test by far more times than I could ever tell. She just reached over and touched me and when she touched me, I recentered. everything was okay. I knew I was not being eaten by a lion, but it was the first anxiety attack I'd ever experienced and I had another one yet to come. And it was terrifying to me. And the next one was whenever they stood me up on my feet. And when I stood, I was eye level to a mirror. And I saw what they had done. I saw what the doctors were slapping each other on the back, congratulating each other and saying what a great surgery. And looked at me and said, Dave, it, it was wonderful. And I'm thinking, wow, for the first time I won't scare children. And you know, doesn't count. I do that every now and then too to children. <laughs> Sometimes they just stand there and pee all over themselves. They don't know how to deal with that. And, and then there are men, you know, they'll say, looks like you got hurt there. What happened to your face? He's uglier than me. I'm saying, what happened to your mother? And so I'm standing there expecting to see a repaired face. And this is what I saw if they'll put it on the screen. You can take it down. And I turned and I looked at Brenda and I said, get me out of here. And I'm thinking, what Stone Age University did you get your medical degree from? And you need to go get eye surgery if you think that's beautiful and great surgery and well done, Dave. I don't even use the word well done. When you're burned, you don't, you like medium. <laughs> I worry about going to heaven. Jesus says, well done, Dave. I said, oh, come on, Lord, you know. <laughs> Give me a break. She took me home, and when we got in, I closed the door, and I said, nobody but my son, Matt, nobody but our son comes in that door. I don't want my daughter. I don't want my granddaughters. I don't want my son-in-law. I don't want my daughter-in-law. I don't want my grandsons to see this. And in my brain, it was over. I knew I would never do what I'm doing right now, stand before an audience and speak again. I had no idea how it could ever be that I would do again what God called me to do. And I have to be honest with you. In this respect, I was okay with it because I have not lived a boring day of my life since I gave my heart to Jesus. Every day is a new experience. But this one really hurt. And my phone rang. And I looked down and it was American Airlines. 
And I'm a spokesperson with Gary Sinise, who was Lieutenant Dan in the Forrest Gump movie. And he and I do a lot of things together. And I knew it was going to be one of these guys from American Airlines, and it was one of their top executives. And I'm a spokesperson, as I said, for their charity, Air Power Foundation. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to work for a secular group, but I don't get paid. So thank you very much for the effort. They don't pay me money. They pay me in air miles. That, those air miles do not come to me, but those sky miles are given three million at a time to cover the cost of me bringing in the, the young wounded from all over the country to our ranches and I don't have to buy airline tickets. And I'm gonna tell you that is, that's thousands times thousands of dollars. Thank you, American Airlines. I answered it was Jim Palmersheim and Jim said, Dave, I got a mission for you. And my heart just sank because I knew he was gonna put me up in front of a lot of people as they always do. And I was gonna look like that. And I said, what is it, Jim? He said, I have 1,600 children. Every one of their daddies were killed in the global war on terror. And they want you to come speak to them. What am I going to say? Oh, my face doesn't look good. Am I going to do that for 1,600 kids who don't have a daddy anymore? And all those mamas out there without a husband? There would be about 3,000 people gathered there that night. And he said... I want you to go talk to him. I said, okay, Jim, I'll do it. My wife, it was on speakerphone. My wife said, what about that door? I'm going to tell you something, women. <clears throat> I looked at her and I said, I didn't say nobody would go out that door. I said, I'll be there, Jim. So Brenda and I discussed it after we hung up. I said, I need a mask. We checked we checked with Phantom of the Opera. It was the wrong side. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that would have helped. <laughs> so we made a mask to cover my face, and I could still see with my good eye. And Dave and Kathy Wampler, who are our precious associates for 28 years now, and Brenda and I went to this fabulous hotel in Dallas with a ballroom that would seat over 3,000. And I walked in with a mask and very graciously all the airline executives greeted me with hugs and Dave, thank you. No one commented on the way I looked. They were being courteous. And then to introduce me, they had pre-selected one of the most beautiful women I ever saw in my life. She's all of her parts are in the right places. You know what I'm trying to say? She's just beautiful and she is arm candy. And she walks out with me to introduce me and I'm thinking the beauty and the beast. And then I grinned to myself, I can't call her a beast in front of all these kids. <laughs> she introduced me and that night I stepped out of the darkness and realized that I'm not just a purposeful person. I have a passion driven purpose and I do what I do with all my heart. I've always been that way. My precious mom taught me that many of you knew my mom. You didn't know her back whenever I was a baby and she almost died at my birth and actually died from the day of my birth. She started dying and all those years curled up in a fetal position in a nursing home. You folks that knew my mom, you knew how much she suffered. I didn't speak English till I was six years old. I spoke Spanish fluently because my nanny was Maria Rubio and every morning I'd wake up to David, David, dame un beso and I'd give her a big kiss and I'm out the door to play. I gotta tell you, when they told me at six years old I had to speak English, they also told me I was not a Mexican. <laughs> I couldn't get my Hispanic brain around that one. It took several weeks of crying and darkness and darkness was real to me at that time. It was real to me a year ago. That night, I discovered one of the greatest secrets of life again. When it hurts the most, don't let the devil get credit. Take that pain and that scar and use it against him and beat him all over the face of the earth like I'm doing today. Use it against him. Amen? Yeah.
Kathy Wampler, would you join me on the platform, ma'am? I'm going to have Kathy help me today with a very special song I've asked for today. There are times in a busy world when we are hit and confronted with things that just knock us down. What we need is a moment in the presence of God to let the healing begin and restoration starts when the healer comes into our lives. He restores what has been eaten by the canker worm. He builds back what has been blown off. He gives us hope. The last line of defense against suicide. He gives us hope again. I want her to greet you, say a few words, and then to sing the song I've asked for this one. Would you welcome Kathy Wump? Thank you. I was thinking about Christmas. You know, we go from Thanksgiving to Christmas to the new year. It's a madhouse, isn't it? It's hectic. It's crazy. There's tons of places to be, tons of things to do. You never quite get everything done. And you just kind of run around like crazy trying to accomplish it all. And you get to the end of Christmas, you look at New Year, and you're just so happy to have January 1st come around because you're going to settle down and you're going to calm down and you're not going to be so busy, right? Mm -mm. <laughs> it rarely happens. You hit January 1st and you're just as busy because now you're busy doing all of those things that you made a list about in December that now you have to do to make yourself, you know, feel good and like you're getting it all accomplished. But I was thinking about the fact that I read an article yesterday and someone quoted in there, someone who said this, he said, when God made time, he made plenty of it. He made the perfect amount for me and the perfect amount for you. And if God does everything perfect, he made enough for all of us to get done what we need to get done. The key for us is to prioritize those things and do what's most important first. So I say going into 2018, instead of a New Year's resolution, I want to make a heart resolution for the rest of my life to spend more time with Jesus. I want to spend more time in the calm, sweet presence of my Savior that's my heart resolution. In the calm of your presence, I am listening, Lord. I am still, I am quiet, I am yours. In the calm of your presence, I am listening, Lord. I am still, I am quiet, I am yours. Let your word speak to me, let your I am yours. 
Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to ask Kathy to help me. We'd like to let you know that out in the foyer, there's a, you have access to a means to help support what we do with our warriors, but it gives you an opportunity to have some good tools to share with friends and family. I want you to know there are no royalties whatsoever involved in any of the materials from our ministry. No royalties. I've never taken so much as a penny. Every bit of it goes to a great cause. So this is not a self-serving uh, effort. I want you to know what we have. First of all, Kathy's album. She has three of them are available. And if you like the atmosphere you feel right now after she sings, you have three good albums to keep that atmosphere alive in your car. You'll miss a few exits. I do. I have missed a few. Also available, I was at Gateway Church not long ago, and it was one of the most rare evenings, uh, mornings of, of my career. Everything just seemed to gel perfectly, including technically, they produced a wonderful video and offered it to me. We made it into a presentation that is powerful. It's current. It's real. And it has had the biggest return we've ever had on a single item like this. So it's on DVD. It's available to you. Also, a program of programs. There are six DVDs, 17 episodes of some of the best TV you'll ever watch. Our competition was India, England, Germany, France, throughout Europe, places around the world. And for television production, we won three telly awards. These are Director's Awards and People's Choice Awards, and we're very proud of that. That's a little ego mixed in there, so you have to forgive that. But that's good quality programming that can change your life. One little quick point about it. In one of the episodes, everybody on the set, like myself, was burned. And always the face gets it. And so it's a collection of crispy critters, I call it. <laughs> that's pretty sick, isn't it? If you're a junior hire, you love it. Uh, but that series of television programs called Tragedy to Triumph will change your life. I really encourage you to make that investment into those CDs. Also a book that's been around a long time, and I mean a long time, it's been updated, but it started out back during the days of Ronald Reagan, and he endorsed it along with Billy Graham. And I think you'll find this autobiography exciting to read. And if those two guys liked it, I figure you will too. It actually includes some of our work today as I am employed by the Department of Defense as a defense contractor. I'm a resiliency coach in the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program. And I'm sent all over this planet. Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, UAE, Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia, Kosovo. I can keep going even more recently to uh, South Korea. And they send me, not because I'm good looking, although that's better now, uh, they don't send me because of my mighty military strength. You'll notice I have to sit down sometimes when I'm speaking. They didn't send me for my academic achievements. I was in the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class. <laughs> you know why they send me? Because I've been there, done that. I have a purpose, but it's driven with a passion, and that's what makes the difference in ministry to your friends when you care enough to get involved and let it hurt a little bit. And that's what has happened. So the, this book is brought up to date, and a new one that is really having an impact. It's new to us. It's a couple years old now, but it's called War and Recovery. That does not include mental, as you can see. Uh, I, this was a television show for uh, a year on Trinity, and we contracted to do a one-year presentation. Powerful stories, every one of them interlaced with wonderful scriptures of support to apply it to your life. Read what's left of my lips, which is a little more than two years ago. You don't have to go to war to get hurt. You don't have to go to Afghanistan or Iraq or Vietnam. I went to war, I got hurt, I came back with a purple heart. Some of you go to divorce court and come back with a broken heart and a broken washer and the ex got the dryer, it worked. Because life is not fair. And when you think it's gonna be fair, it just got the best of you. That book can help you through so many experiences, some of my own, some of my young warriors, their experiences and how God is still the answer. Thanks for letting me mention all that. We have a wonderful shirt, OWR, Operation Warrior Reconnect, a growing national representation of hope for our young warriors and our beautiful logo. Operation Warrior Reconnect is what we do most. It's what we do best. We give hope to our warriors who've been so devastated, healing their marriages, healing their 
anxieties, Jesus is still the answer. He's the great physician. Give it up for Jesus today. Amen. Amen. As always, if you take the two books, we have a little gift for you. It's a 14 karat nylon bracelet. <laughs> it's a reminder to pray for the troops and it, to the troops is a reminder to come home alive. Uh, there's a little card in there. I'm not looking for your name and address. I'm not trying to build a mailing list, so ignore that. What I want you to do is write a thank you and Jesus loves you in your own words on that card. Leave it with me today. As I go among our troops and I'm now being discussed as a potential next uh, visit to Afghanistan, which is fastly becoming the new headquarters of terrorism. We fought that war, we cleaned it up so well and now we're having to refight it. We're losing troops. I'm still being sent where they hurt. I'm 71 years old, but I'm going on 50, and according to Hollywood, 50 is a new 30, and according to Common Core Math, I'm 20, so I'm in good shape to go. <laughs> Thank God for Common Core Math. You can just be anything you want. And with that said, I take those little cards and pass them out to our troops, and you should see the look on their face when they read those encouraging words of hope, and I think you can help me with that. Now, all that said, you can use your credit card or your neighbor's card to buy that stuff if you don't have cash. Are you happy this morning? You're going to forgive me for the 30-minute uh, commercial? I was thinking this morning as I was watching for a few minutes Fox News, and it's just absolutely going to be so depressing. I don't watch it more than a few seconds anyway, any of them. But I thought as they broke for commercial, we are so brainwashed. We sit and listen and look at all those commercials, which are about equal time to the presentation of whatever it is uh, for the program. And we absorb it automatically. We don't think about why they do it or what that product is or where that money goes. You know, when I advertise our product, you know where the money's going. Your pastor knows me. At the end of the service, there's going to be an offering. I want you to know you can trust what you give to go to what you want it to go to. I grew up in this area, my, as I mentioned, my dad pastored over here in a little town, Lake Worth, Lake Worth Assembly of God. I think the church was running about 300 people at the time. That was a pretty good church. And I met a girl, and her name was Brenda. She was singing in the choir, and I don't remember anything about church for many months to follow. <laughs> I went to church to see that girl. Went to school together, and I got my first date with her. And I asked her to marry me on the first date. And she slapped me. <laughs> she said, I'm only 13 years old. <laughs> I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. <laughs> she slapped me again. I was 16, like I really could be a great husband at that age. She said, if you love me, you'll wait for me. I waited for her. And when she graduated, we got married. On July the 15th, last, this last summer, we celebrated 50 years together. Not bad, huh? Pretty good, pretty good. And I'll tell you, for all that I put her through, the fact that she still loves me is a miracle in and of itself. And if you don't mind, I enjoy sitting when I talk a little bit. Is that all right with you? The rule is though, when I sit, you stand. Somebody's gotta suffer in church, come on now. <laughs> but thank you. Uh, 50 years together through what we started out when when we were so young, we had no clue what those 50 years would extract from us. But the greatest product it extracted was loyalty. She's the only girl I've ever held in my arms and loved and kissed. She's my girl. I've been faithful to her and she's been faithful to me. And those are words you don't hear much today, especially in the last few months. From Weinstein to God knows who, to Frankenstein, everybody seems to be messed up in their sexual behavior and accusations coming from everywhere against everybody. You don't have to be guilty. You just have to be accused. And God's protected us and kept our marriage alive for such a time as this. I want to tell you that as I have evolved through a lot of suffering, I've never felt like I had it any worse than anybody else. I just don't go down that road. And on one of these operations, and it was actually about eight months ago for our surgery number 53, 
I was sitting and the medic was doing a pre-op and they take your blood pressure and they take your blood and they, they got a franken, they got a, some guy back there drinking it and <laughs> they never get enough. And all of a sudden my medic went to attention and I knew some brass had just walked in somewhere and I looked over my shoulder. There's a current, a general standing behind me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Davy, how are you? I said, sir, I'm fine. And I knew if he called me Davy, it was, he knew me. I said, I'm sorry, General, uh, have we met? He said, well, I know you, but you don't know me. Now listen to the story. He said, 30 years ago, you came to my high school in Montana. You spoke, and I was a senior. And I looked down and I said, I want to be a military man like that. And he said, you invited us to a rally that night, and I listened and I said, I want to be a born again military man like that. He said, from that day, I set my goals. I joined the ROTC and the local church. And he said, for 30 years, I've kept up with your career on an almost daily basis. And now online, I can keep up with you all the time and I know everything you're doing for our troops. He said, Dave, you've mentored me for 30 years and didn't know it. You know what's important about being faithful to your family, to your spouse, to your God? You know what's faithful about it? Somebody's watching you. They're looking at everything you do, how you do it, why you do it, where you do it, and it better be right. And he said, Dave, what can I do to serve your cause? What can I do? I said, well, sir, what do you do? He said, I'm commanding general of Brook Army Medical Center. I'm your top doc. 10,000 people under his command, one of the most prestigious positions in all of the U.S. military. And he's saying, what can I do to serve you? I said, I want every wounded in your group. He said, it's done. And since then, I've been going in over and over and over, ministering to the Warrior Transition Battalion, to individuals that the psychiatrists and the psychologists have run up against a wall. One of them, Mrs. Katie Blanchard, a lieutenant in the army, a nurse at Fort Leavenworth Hospital. In the workplace, a civilian contractor who hated women and hated women in authority. And you can put that together with what you know about people that are like that. He went out, got a can full of gasoline, walked back in, threw it all over her right in the middle of the workplace and struck a match on her. Lit her up like a torch. She fell to the ground screaming. I knew this would happen. I knew it would happen. They finally got the fire out. They managed to get this man immediately under control. He was, he was found guilty, and his sentencing phase is coming up next right away. I pray they throw the book at him, never let him out again. And I'm going to tell you, she was filled with rage and anger, and rightfully so from the human perspective. Amen? I, I don't know that I would not just, I would live every day saying, I'm going to get you for this. You're, you're going to pay for what you did. I'm just as human as... She is and we are. And the doc, the top doc told me, he said, we've hit a wall. We can't get through to her. But he said, Dave, I believe you can. I looked at him. I said, General, I was made for this. <laughs> Give me that girl. So Brent and I scheduled a date with the hospital. They put us in a conference room for a, a very quiet time together. And it was just Brent and me and Katie. And I said, now, uh, Brenda said, now, when she comes through that door, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to jump up, catch her off guard. I'm going to jump up, throw my arms around her, and just dance around the floor together. And Brenda said, well, that's probably not military protocol. What's your second plan, plan B? And the door swung open, and there stood Katie with her mother. And Katie looked and said, well, you're Dave Reaver. She threw her arms around me. We danced all over the floor. <laughs> God has a plan. Immediately, she was healed of all of that anger. and all. We're in touch all the time now, and we're preparing her for our program. We're going to make her public speaker out of Who knows? She may be one of the best women's preacher ever come down the pike. She's got the fire. You know what I mean? And we're going to help her write her first book and make some DVDs and CDs and get this woman started on a path, not only of recovery, but helping others recover, which brings me to the point of why I'm here. In the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 12, is one of the cornerstones 
of my life and my ministry. It's based on, you're welcome to look it up, Philippians 1 and 12. I wish you would understand, my brothers, Paul wrote, to the church. He didn't write it to the world. This was not written to the local bar. It was written to the local church. I want you to understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. I'm letting that soak in by being careful about each word spoken in time with a pregnant pause. I want you to hear it again. The things which happened unto me have fallen out rather. That means been exchanged for the preaching, the purpose, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ for others. That is my life. That is our life. Things don't just happen, but they just happen. I don't know how else to put it. God's the master of taking our disasters and changing tragedies into triumph. Oh, pastor, you were so good a while ago and you didn't even realize your own, you corrected a statement immediately realizing, no, that's not what I mean. You said, God didn't cause this to happen. You changed it and said, God allowed it to happen. Pastor, thank you. Few people get it. Many people think, well, look what God did to you. You know what the first words past my burning lips and swollen burning tongue were when I surfaced in the water, still burning because water will not extinguish white phosphorus. You know what the first words came out of my mouth were? They weren't curse words. They weren't, oh God, please help me, I'm going under. You know what the first words were? God, I still believe in you. That's an exact quote and it's been repeated back to me from everyone that lived that day. God, I still believe in you. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I wanted those boys I'd witnessed to for eight months with one result. It came to do, it came past when it came due to pay the piper. I burned that day. And when they thought I was dying, one of them gave his heart to Christ because when I came out of the water, I didn't blame God. What if I'd come out saying, God, look what you've done to me. Why me, God? That boy would have never made his commitment to Christ. The day I was injured, I got my first convert. Eight months of preaching paid off that day. 13 years later, three more guys. They called me Dudley Do-Right, Dr. Doolittle, and Preacher Man. That was what they called me all through the war. I called them pervert number one, pervert number two, and pervert number three. All through the war, that's how we got along. Preacher man and the three perverts. It sounds like a gospel rock and roll band, doesn't it? <laughs> 13 years later, none of them knowing the others had done it, all 13, I mean, all three gave their heart to Christ on the 13th year. I sowed and reaped 13 years later. I sowed in a school in Montana and reaped 30 years later. A gentleman approached me in the hall coming into church this morning, he said, 30 years ago, I listened to you. And I said, I can't wait to tell you what happened 30 years ago. I hope, I hope he's hearing me because I'm going to tell you something. You sow today. Don't expect to reap harvest the same day. You just sow. Another will water. God will send the increase and there will be a harvest and your investment will not be lost. But what you've got to understand is when you're under the gun and it comes time to pay the piper, we call it. When it comes time to put your faith to the test, don't lose it then. Somebody's watching you. It's important to hold it together. This year, 2018, hold on to everything you've ever had in faith and hope in Christ and add to it and grow in the Lord. Somebody's watching you. And everything you've sown one day, it will bring forth fruit and you'll rejoice with tears of joy for those that sow in tears, reap in joy, but sometimes the tears come back. This time, not those salty, bitter tears, but those tears of joy. I'm living in the days of the harvest in my life, and it's been marvelous. I still go speak in the schools. I have men in the military come up to me. You came to my school when I was in junior high, and the guy's a colonel. I said, 30 years, 40 years ago, how can I do that? I'm not that old, but I am, but I'm reaping my harvest because I stayed faithful. That sounds so self-aggrandizing. That's not the point. What I'm trying to tell you is everything I put into the, into the planting has been worth it. 
Now, people have said to me, Dave, after all the things you're involved in today, you'd do it again, wouldn't you? And I think to myself, I go to Vietnam, I get shot, I get blown up, I get burned, and they have the brain damage. <laughs> I'd want to do this again? Oh, no, 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 no. And if I'd known this was coming, I would have joined the Boy Scouts, not the Navy. I joined the Navy to avoid getting hurt in the Army, and I ended up in the Navy Special Forces. I was what's known as a Special Warfare Command Sailor. I was, I was a Brownwater Black Beret. I was not a SEAL, but I was trained by SEALs and assigned to SEAL Team 1 in Vietnam, and I drove the, the fast boats. And I got to tell you something, it was an exciting career for eight months. Do it again? <clears throat> but if you don't know what's coming, and I didn't then, and I don't know what's going to come tomorrow. So yeah, I'll do it again as long as I don't know tomorrow. You don't want to know tomorrow, friend. Just let it rest in the fact that someday in the future you will reap what you've sown. Sow not to the wind and reap the whirlwind. Don't sow in violence to reap violence. Sow in peace and reap the prince of peace. <laughs> Which led me to a staff meeting question this last week. Why do you have to die to rest in peace? Why can't we rest in peace without dying? Let this peace come into our lives now before we die. That in the midst of the storm, as Kathy's saying, there's a calm. That's resting in peace, ladies and gentlemen. Rest in peace, knowing that you've sown in good soil and it will come back. Now, what does that say to everybody in this room? Some of you, you get it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're dreading the day you reap what you sowed. How can you change the seed that's in the ground? I can only say this. There are many of us who've sown. And I'll share with you what I shared with the Swahili church this morning. You sow. You don't always know what's going to come back. I sowed in violence. My second week in Vietnam, we were attacked by the communists. My little boat was the first in a flotilla of 16 boats and eight teams, four men per boat, two boat teams. And we had a flotilla. There were 16 boats made of fiberglass with 250 calibers in the front, one in the back. Those are anti-aircraft guns, eight mile range. In the midship, it's called, even though the boat's only 30 feet long, 11 and a half feet wide, in the middle of it, on top of the engine covers, was a stand with two M60s. We could put out the firepower of 1,100 rounds a minute on the front two guns, 550 rounds a minute on the back two guns, and 600 rounds a minute per gun for the M60s. That's a lot of firepower. Add to that a cranking grenade launcher that could put about 30 grenades in the air before the first one hit the ground. We were a fort looking for a fight times 16. Our body count that day, not of our troops, no one died that day on our side, but the rivers were littered with floaters face down. The little preacher's kid that grew up in Lake Worth lost his innocence. My heart clouded over in darkness. And I prayed to God, for God and country, a little Boy Scout motto, for God and country, for God and country. But I couldn't wash the blood off my hands. And for the following eight months, this passion to die for the cause, I didn't want to come home, I didn't want to come back to a reality of resting in peace. That rest was gone, I thought, forever. And I volunteered for every dangerous mission my commanding officer asked for. It's humorous now. There weren't any Rambo movies, but his name was Vince Rambo. And he always selected me as the machine gunner. He trusted me. And a Tony Brown, who was the sniper, and himself, three of us on a little Boston whaler, would slip in in the darkness of cover across the border into Cambodia before Nixon came. And we would engage the enemy where they never expected us to be. It was one of the most dangerous things we've ever done or I've ever done. And my prayer was one day that bullet would find its lodging between my eyes. And I almost got my death wish. And you've heard that story so many times, but at the time of that explosion, when that bullet went through my hand and detonated that grenade, 
It was almost like relief. Now it's over. But a scripture came back to me. I read to you the things which happened to me have fallen out rather than the funds of the gospel. I learned it when I was just a boy going to school. Mom was in, invalid in the bed and dad would fix breakfast every morning. I had to quote a scripture every morning. I had to learn a scripture every morning and quote that to him before I took off for school. But that particular week, it was not a scripture. Those scriptures from Philippians came alive to me as a young boy. And I begin at verse 19 now. I know, listen carefully to every word. I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ that according to my earnest expectation and hope in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain, which really boils down to you can't kill a Christian, you just get them where they're going quicker. <laughs> you move up graduation day, as Brenda calls it. Those scriptures proved the scripture that says we are kept by the word. I should have died that day, but the word of God was so alive, my body couldn't perish. It had to stay alive with a living spirit. That day, Payday, that day, it was due. I would pay for the violence, the defense of my nation, for which I have no shame. I'm proud of my scars and stripes for my country. I'm proud of this little purple heart because a nation said to me one day, thank you, and that meant the world to me. I'm proud of the men and women I served with in the United States Navy and the men I fought with who lived and died. I have no regrets there, but I will tell you this, there was a bigger thing in the picture that I couldn't see then, but looking back, I see the fingerprint of God over everything, and fingerprints prove the existence that someone was there. He's still there. He's still leaving fingerprints. He's still got his hand on our lives today. So let me make it very clear to you God had a plan for my life and there wasn't a devil in or out of hell big enough to pluck me out of the hand of God. Amen. And there are times it gets real personal. Real personal. Some of you are going through the trial of your life. You're facing some of the most difficult issues you've ever dealt with. You're on the verge. You feel like God just kill me because you don't want to kill yourself. I was suicidal for 20 years. Whenever I came up out of the water and said, God, I still believe in you, I was stepping into a world of pain I would know for the rest of my life. And when they picked me up and on the bank of that river, they rolled me over thinking I was dead, thinking I was killed in action. They rolled me over face down on the stretcher. I caught the stretcher on fire, ripped open, I fell through on my head. It was just one of those days. <laughs> Nothing goes right. They rolled me up in wet blankets and got me on another stretcher in the helicopter. Way we're going, the medic thinks I'm dead. He's filling out my death report. I'm thinking, I've got to get his attention. This is starting to hurt. The shock was wearing off. The pain was coming on. I just blurted out through a hole in my chest. I lost most of my breath. And my tongue was so swollen, it just squeaked out. I can't even imitate the sound. But the word medic came out somehow. Scared him to death. He tried to jump out of the helicopter. The pilot lost control. We're dropping like a rock. And I thought, oh, Lord, we're going to crash and I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> God had a plan for my life. And the medic, which in special ops, you do not get to take a medic with you before you go. You have to learn enough emergency combat medicine to save your life or your neighbor or your buddy's life. And you carry just enough equipment to sustain you until you can get a medic. In the little combat medic bag or pouch, there was a tube with a plastic cap over a needle. And it was filled with morphine. And you crack that, that little cap off, jam that needle in your leg and squeeze it and it puts morphine into your body and it kills so much pain you can function better. And maybe if you're dying, at least you don't die with all that pain. So it's not only for you, but it's also for the man you may be assisting at the time of emergency combat need. 
We're in the helicopter. I say, medic, he grabs his bag, pops it open, grabs the tube, snaps the lid, jammed it in his own leg and squeezed. I'm thinking, dude, I hope you have a good day, but you won't remember it tomorrow. That is a true story. He's beside himself. He just, and they get me to Saigon and then put me on a big jet hospital ship airplane and sent me to Japan. And I saw myself in the mirror like you saw a while ago. I heard your collective gasp. Put all that together into one gasp and you still don't come close to what I saw when they held the mirror over my face in Japan. And my last line of defense, my hope was lost. And I tried to kill myself. And I'm ashamed of that, but the truth is the truth. No matter how it has to come out, good, bad, or ugly. And this is ugly. I had no gun or knife. How do you kill yourself in the hospital when you're hooked up to tubes? Unplug. I pulled the tube. I laid my head back and waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> it was the wrong tube. I pulled lunch. It was my feeding tube. You can die that way. It's going to take a while. And if you smell a pizza, you're singing, plug it in, plug it in. I'm telling you, some of you in this room need to hear the laughter as I talk about suicide because that day, that day started a process that would take 20 years to be delivered from. But the key is not 20 years. The key is delivered from. And it happened in Texas over here, and actually I happened in LA. I was confusing the, the studio. It was TBN. And Jan called and she said, Dave, we gotta have you Monday. It's Memorial Day. I just got in from a 90-day tour and I got in Sunday evening and late that night the phone's ringing. I said, Miss Jan, it's tomorrow. I'm exhausted, I, I'd be a terrible guest. I, I, let's plan it for next year. Nope, got to have you now. Sounds like I'm really important, you know. Let me tell you something. When they call that late, the person they really wanted canceled. You're on a very long list, and they're just going to see who will bite. I said, I just can't do it. She said, well, General Robbie Reisner is on, and he specifically asked for you. I said, well, why didn't you say that? I'd go to the gates of hell for Robbie Reisner. I ain't going in. He's on his own there. But I'd go to the gate. So I went, when I got there, I said, Miss Jan, I'm really tired. I, don't ask any hard questions tonight. I sound like Hillary Clinton during the primary, don't I? <laughs> you can applaud if you want to. <laughs> she said, okay, I'll be easy on you. And so the first question out of the bag, Davey, do you still carry baggage out of that war? I said, oh, brother. Yes, ma'am. I said, I, I have fought a suicide demon for 20 years. It's been the hardest thing I've ever experienced. She said, well, you know why God let you be scarred, maimed, and burned, don't you? Go back to what Pastor said in his introduction. God didn't cause it. He allowed it. He didn't stop it. That was the only question. It's so unique you brought that up, Pastor, because it's really a fulcrum for what I want, want to say to you about today. The thing was, I knew God didn't do this to me. I knew he didn't shoot me, set me on fire, blow my face off, blow my chest open, see my own heart beating. He didn't set me on fire to lose half my flesh and 60 pounds of flesh in one second. God didn't do that. But he didn't stop it. And in the world of reality, if you could have stopped it and you didn't, aren't you culpable as though you did it? Not really. Not really. In a court of law, God's not responsible for what we do to ourselves. But as I said earlier, he's the master of taking our disaster and changing our tragedies into triumph. And you got to hear this because this is where it all starts now. There has to be a healing of this suicide mentality because sooner or later, that war of attrition, somebody's going to lose. And all I needed was another dark day, maybe push me over the hill and take my life. Every day for 20 years, I thought about it. Whether it was a one second fleeting thought or it lasted all day. Every day, I don't remember a day, the thought of suicide didn't enter my mind. To get me out of my wife's misery, to get me out of this horrific thing that my children, I thought, were having to constantly make excuses for why their dad looked the way he did. And folks, today I look good. You, you just don't have an idea what it was like then. I didn't have my hair, I got my hair. 
I bought it. <laughs> and I've chased it across many parking lots on windy days. You don't know what humiliation is till a dog brings you back your hair in front of a four-star general. An artificial ear and it falls off when I'm preaching in Jamaica. I stuck it on, they thought it was a miracle and they all got saved. <laughs> Sounds good, but it's very embarrassing because then you have to tell them it's a phony ear and you know they're gonna think you're a phony preacher. I didn't want to get stoned. I've never smoked a joint. I don't know how to get stoned. <laughs> That was a bad joke. But God had a plan for my life. And it included being pushed to the brink. He didn't do it to me. When I pulled that tube, I laid my head back and waited to die. As I said, I got hungry and they coming in and chewing me out for pulling those tubes. Sent me to America to Brook Army Medical Center where I'm a patient today. That cycle has come all the way back in full circle. Now I want you to see and I want you to understand what's going on. God saw the day I was injured what I would be like today. The picture you looked at and those doctors congratulating themselves left me so broken and shattered. It took an act of God in a miraculous way through a secular effort to get me back on my feet and refocus that I'm an evangelist. I'm not a revivalist. My job is to win the loss, not to sustain and maintain Christians. That's a pastor job and every pastor has one of the biggest jobs on earth to keep the sheep in the right flock and moving in the right direction. One of the greatest jobs on earth. But my job is to go out there and get the old goats and get them made in the sheep and give them something to work with. <laughs> and I gotta tell you something. When I looked at that picture you looked at, I saw that reflection of that in the mirror. I saw nothing but horror. I was looking at where I was. The doctors were congratulating themselves because they were looking at where I was going to be. We come to Christ in the filthiness of rags and, and self-righteousness and we see our ugliness. Very few of us have a positive self-image. Very few people have that. To this day, I still struggle with it. That's why I put the mask on for those children. When I walked out to all those kids, I said, I'm sorry about the way I look, but nobody understands freedom and the cost of it better than you and tonight me. And I feel safe in your presence. The adult should make the presence of children. They should feel safe in the presence of the adult. That night, the adult felt safe in the presence of the children because they understood. Do you know what God lets you go through things for? Do you know why he allows things to happen? Not because you're a liability, but because you have a liberty, he will give you and change your liability into a liberty. He will take those things you felt like God was punishing you for and he'll show you that it is not punishment, it's trust. And that night when I said to Jan Crouch, you know, she said, you know why God let you be scarred, maimed, and burned? I was enraged. I looked at her and I had to fake it for Jesus on Christian TV, you gotta fake it. I looked at her and I faked being a gentleman. I said, ma'am, I don't know why God let me be scarred, maimed, and burned. The question I did not know the answer to. She lowered her glasses and looked at me and she said, Davy, Jesus didn't do that to you. And let me tell you, gentlemen, learn a lesson. When a woman looks over her glasses at you, go stand in the corner she's about to send you to. I knew I was getting a spanking right there in front of worldwide television. She said, he didn't do that to you, but he didn't stop it from happening because he knew he could trust you with the scars. That was the last day suicide ever entered my mind to this day. A purpose rose up, a passion drove it, and I stand delivered. That carried me through the dark age of that experience most recently. It brought me back and recentered me when he said, I have 1,600 kids who lost their daddy. There's a world out there of people who lost their daddy. Your scars are your entree. 
They're your entrance. They're your passport into their world of suffering. Your pain is their gain. When they look at you and say, how did you make it? You can say the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. God didn't do it. He allowed it because he trusted me with this experience. Because no testimony on earth is more valuable to someone suffering like you did than for them to look at you and you tell them, if I can make it, you can make it. Jesus is still the answer. There it is. There it is. He's still the answer. So lest I boast of myself, you must know I am nothing more than a container. I'm that old filthy glove out there in the middle of the intersection. Every car's passed over it. It's embedded with glass and gravel and soaked in dirty grease. Fell off an old work truck somewhere. You go out there and pick up that glove. You take it back and you put it into some very serious, intense cleaning fluids. Wash it. Put it in a dryer. Fluffs it up a little bit. That old glove that was nothing more than waste and nobody gave a rip about it. If you slip your hand in it, that glove will do what it was created to do. You and me, where's that glove out there in the intersection? But along came Jesus and picked it up and he washed us with the blood of the lamb and put the hand of God in us. And we function just like we're supposed to from the day he created us. We may have a little embedded scar tissue, oh yeah. But there's a story to tell of every car that ran over that glove. There's a story to tell. What's the greatest story? That that glove can do nothing of itself. But with the hand of God in it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's give the Lord a clap offering in his house today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, come on, give it up for Jesus in his house. It's not about Dave. It's not about you. It's about Christ in us. That is our hope of glory. Thank you, Lord. You can be reseated. Pastor's going to come, and in just a moment, you're going to be given an opportunity to make a contribution. I had a video to show, but for time's sake, I think our time was better spent sharing with you. I do want you to know that today, when you make a contribution to this ministry, it doesn't come to Brother Dave. Those of you that know me live, you know I live in a very moderate home. It was built in 1976 with my own hands. My wife and I actually built our house together, except for the concrete part. I'm allergic to concrete when it's dry. Here's something you need to know. When you give in this offering, not only are you giving, but it is matched in giving. If you were to give, and some of you can do this, I'm in a congregation of people that I know well enough to know some of you can make a $1,000 contribution today. Every $1,000 contribution or more is matched every month by a gentleman in this community who has been my friend from almost from childhood, known him for decades. Al Banker Insurance matches every $1,000 gift or more from any individual or company. He's done it seven times for contributions of 100000 He kept his word over these years. It takes me $2,000 for one warrior to go through our program. Two grand per warrior. I have 30 coming. I've got a $60,000 bill coming due. With your help, you can help me help them. I don't get your money. It's well spent. It's invested. It's invested not in human bricks and stones as our normal uh, request for support comes because we are in a huge building program at Eagle Summit Ranch, Texas, down between Junction and Kerrville, Texas. One of the most beautiful ranches. I had the general from... Brook Army Medical Center out there for four days this last two weeks ago. He's blown away. Can't wait to get more guys involved in our program and their wives and their children. We have family camp coming up this summer. I do not have any of the funds set aside yet for family camp that cost me $100,000 to put on. We fly them in from our work. We're expecting 300 families, and that will come out to about 900 people in our next year. So we're halfway there this year. I need your help. These are not my warriors, they're our warriors. They weren't hurt serving me, they were injured serving all of us. Can I count on you, Bethesda? You've always helped me. You've never left me out to dry. You've kept me going. 
Many times I've come here, you've never failed to support what I ask you to help me with. Again, recognizing this money doesn't come to me. Brenda and I put most of our salary back in the ministry and we're doing okay. I already get your money every April the 15th. You gave it the office and didn't know it. Thank you, me and the IRS appreciate those cards and letters. What I need from you today is some people who will seriously consider what I'm doing. So with what's coming up in these sessions, I can't do it without your help. It's you or American Express, and I don't like to worship American Express. Let's give God the glory. Can I count on your help today? Thousand is spelled T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. I'm just saying. But you also need to know that a dollar in the eyes of God is as big as $10 million if that's your best gift. He doesn't determine our rewards on the basis of our numbers, but on our percentages, I can say. And I'm asking you, do what you can today. If you can invest in that $1,000, the church will give me a, 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 a number of $1,000 contributions. I will turn that over to Al Banker. He writes a check. Thank God for sugar daddies. Amen. <laughs> I love Al Banker. He's the best friend I could ever have. Some of you have insurance with him. I'm going to tell you something. He's a deserving brother. He loves God. He loves country. He loves our warriors. And he loves Dave Reaver. So with all that said, I'm going to pass the mic off to Pastor. I want you to know. I'm going to go back to that table, and I'm going to sign books. If you want to give at that table, you can. Any contribution on your credit card will be informed of the church. Every dollar is accounted for. We love it when we're accountable. Nobody can accuse you of anything. So give if you can, whatever you can. I promise to be the best steward you've ever had of your gifts. My name is Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message. <laughs>